0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the United District Podcast. I'm delighted to say that the guest I'm joined by today is an educator for goalkeeping intelligence. He specialises in statistical analysis of goalkeepers. It's the one and only John Harrison. John, welcome to the podcast, mate.
1: Thank you very much cheers Henry thank you for thank you for having me it's
0: great to be on uh, it's great to have you on and obviously I think we're all a little bit happier now that we've got a lot of uh, a lot of football and specifically Premier League football to now indulge in games coming thick and uh, thick and fast the weather outside is shining as well it's boiling here today in in, in England for anyone uh, listening um, perhaps why I may be stuttering my words at times I'm absolutely sweating uh, to be to be honest with you um, but we'll, we'll get right into it obviously you're A big goalkeeping guy, you know, way more than I do in that field. And, you know, at United at the minute, a lot of the discussions recently have been about goalkeepers. Constant comparisons of David De Gea and Dean Henderson. Um, De Gea's performance against Spurs only adding fuel to that fire. Where do you stand on that debate as a whole? And how do you think the two goalkeepers have have sort of performed on,
1: on the restart? Yeah, so I think I think it's a really interesting debate and it's actually quite a hard one because mm. Dean Henderson we've only really got one season of like Premier League performance to go by. Yeah. And I think it's it's always dangerous with comparing one season, but David De Gea's decline has been has been evident for all to see and as as I'll go into when we get further into it, you you, you can really see in the advanced statistics um that David De Gea's form has really really dropped off in the last few years. But in terms of where I stand, I'd say, assuming contracts don't cause issues and, and things like that that I don't quite I don't quite know about, I'd probably try and stick with De Gea for another year and have Henderson on loan somewhere, just try mm-hmm. and keep him happy. But then after that, I'd imagine I'd be bringing I'd be bringing Dean Henderson in if he has a second season somewhere and performs at a similar level. I'd then have no doubts about him. I don't think if he puts two back to back seasons in, I think would be a, a solid choice for United.
0: Mm. And on the restart, obviously, David De Gea, you know, a lot of people very critical of, of the goal that he conceded, which is obviously, as I just mentioned, you know, added added fuel to the fire, really, and created an, an even larger debate. Um, what, what do you think about that specific goal that he obviously conceded to Bergwijn? Do you, what, yeah. what do you think he could have done better with that?
1: Yes, so um, I, I think definitely, and this is a mistake that's actually crops up a few times in De Gea's game, which, which I'll go into after after discussing the, the Bergwijn goal. So, yeah, so basically what, what De Gea does, the issue, which people didn't really point out, Roy Keane sort of just repeatedly shouted he should have saved it at mm. higher and higher volumes. But yeah. um, what actually happened was, um, as Bergwijn was, was sort of coming in on goal, De Gea jumped into this really wide frame stance. So if you if you slow it down and look at the screenshots, you'll see his legs were much further than shoulder width apart. Um, and he sort of jumped into this, just as the shot was coming in. He also had his arms slightly behind his back, um, in terms of, it's something De Gea likes doing, so I wouldn't really criticise him that much for the the arms behind the back, because he can utilise it well. Mm. So the reason he does this is because he swings his arms forwards, so he can try and get power on the save. And it's not something I'd advise doing, because if you mistime it, and your arm's behind your back, there's there's no way you're making the save. But De Gea Mm. normally times that well um but yeah the major problem was this this low set position with really wide legs and what that meant was when Bergwijn's shot ended up going I'd say it was like a sort of a foot away maybe from his left yeah from his from his left hand from his left hand knee um basically what happened there was because his base was so wide he couldn't adjust his body Mm. and he tried to it was sort of an awkward. It looked like it was in an awkward position between his leg and his hand, and then he just tries to get something on it. But because his weight distribution's all wrong and his body shape's all wrong, he ends up just palming it into the roof of the net. So the reason it looked so awkward is because of his stance. So if he'd mm. have taken a more narrow, upright stance, that shot comes in. He'd have had much more time to get his legs out of the way and just palm it out for a corner. Right. Um, and the, the reason I was saying this has happened quite a few times is because I've looked at so. Um, basically De Gea has made sort of I'd say in the Premier League about 10 big errors over the last three years which Mm. isn't which isn't actually that many but five of them have been this year which has been I guess the major sort of issue Mm. but the the Crystal Palace one as well is almost it's not quite because I think Van Aanholt's a little bit closer to goal but the Crystal Palace one is almost identical to the Tottenham one he jumps into this big really wide base the shot goes in between his hand and his foot and he just can't change his body in time and it ends up just squirming in. I think it squirms under him in, mm. in, 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 that, in that scenario. And previously, if you go back, there's this there's the Sane goal in 2018-19 and the Willian goal in 2017-18, where exactly the same thing happens. These are shots from in and around the edge of the box, maybe a little bit just inside the box. He jumps into this really wide set and then it, it catches him off because it's slightly awkwardly in between his hand and his foot. And because he's so wide, he can't move his feet out of the way to get his hands there. Um and it's not something previous to to those th- three or four incidences I, I I just mentioned. It's not really something that was in De Gea's game. Mm. It seems to be, and, and I've, whenever anyone's asked me, I've said that it's potentially an anxiety sort of thing. Like, oh God, mm. they're coming close to goal. I need to I need to do something. I need to really like put energy into this. I need to like jump, get set, and he's just exaggerating his motion, because in the past when De Gea was at his, his sort of brilliant best, it was. He, he, he'd jump into his set, but he'd never end up so wide. Um, mm. And I think, yeah, that's that's probably the main talking point. And the, I guess the sticking point for my United fans is, is he going to keep doing this? Mm. Because if he does, he'll keep conceding goals like that. Um, if he can try and be a little calmer, stay taller and narrower, he won't concede goals like that because he'll be able to get his feet out of the way and just be able to palm it away.
0: Mm. And you touched on a moment ago there the the scathing. Um, I think it could be described as scathing attack launched by... Roy Keane at half time about that, uh, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, a, a, a tirade of abuse um, directed at, at David De Gea. What did you think of that rant? Because I personally think it was, uh, it was pretty harsh, to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, I thought <laughs> my main thing was, yeah, it was needlessly harsh. There was no, it, it was also sort of threatening, and I don't think you should ever be like. I don't know, we're just here to sort of analyze a player. He's just mm. a person at the end of the day who's made a mistake. You don't need to start giving him not just a, not just abuse, but also like threats. It's It sort of yeah. felt all, a little bit weird to me. And, and like I said, I think I tweeted about it basically saying, Roy King's literally added nothing there. He's just said he should have saved it at repeatedly higher <laughs> and higher volumes. Yeah. Yeah someone could have put the analysis in and said, oh, actually, look, it's because of his stance and this, that and the other. He's made it hard for himself and that's why he's conceded rather than just saying, he's got to save that. I could have saved that. That, that, that doesn't help anything. Um, and I think that's definitely a gap in the market for for someone at least, because even BT Sport, they, they used to have Howard Webb in the studio where they'd go and talk about like ref watch. Mm-hmm. I think there really is uh, an area for just having a goalkeeper watch, for someone to go to a goalkeeper and for them to say, yeah, no, it was a mistake and the reason was because he did this. Rather than just yeah, mm. rather than just spouting nonsense and coming up with threats.
0: Yeah, I think you make a great point. I'm not sure many of those sort of former outfield players really do get the sort of science. I mean, it is a whole thing on its own. Goalkeeping, isn't it? As, yes. as most analysis proves, it is a completely, completely different different ball game. Um, another, another question here for you. A lot of people argue that the hair has declined, and you've touched on that over the past sort of year or so. Perhaps maybe reaching a little bit beyond that. Obviously a great season in 2017-18 you know one of the great all-time individual seasons for a goalkeeper obviously since then it's been sort of a downward spiral for him do you think why do you think this is how do you think he's how and why do you think he's sort
1: of regressed as a goalkeeper yeah so um actually I, I i sort of wrote an article about this at the at the time so yeah, De Gea, like you said, had that magnificent season in 1718. So mm. according to the sort of advanced statistics, um, he was expected to save something like 12 fewer goals than he actually saved. Mm. And that's like the biggest overperformance that anyone's ever seen since people have started using expected goals and expected saves and, and things like that. And then the next season, as you point out, 1819, he was basically back down to average. I think he saved two more goals than an average goalkeeper. So there's, there's, there's ten goals gone sort of gone somewhere I guess. Mm-hmm. So he's gone from being ridiculously overperforming, you've never seen an individual season like it, to like okay he's a little bit better than average, but there's probably three or four keepers in the league that are performing higher than that. Um, and a lot of people put this down to errors, you know, like just like howlers just creeping into his game. But actually in that season, uh, I think he only he only committed really three three big errors. I think it was against Man City and two against Arsenal. Where he, where it was just like the Man City one. Yes, yeah, shot. Like I said before, it was Sane's shot where he's jumped too wide and it squirmed under him. Then mm. there's the Arsenal header that was really weird. It just went straight down the middle, and I think he was thinking about distributing already, and he just sort of threw it yeah. over his shoulder into the goal. And then there was the other Arsenal one where he just picked away and dived a little bit too early, and the ball moved at the last minute, and it went pretty centrally, but he'd already committed himself. Mm. But but those three goals. That means we've still got seven goals to account for in the sort of difference between his performance. And actually, I looked into this, and a lot of this was to do with his performance during 1v1 situations. Mm. So you might remember De Gea back at his brilliant best. I think there's a Liverpool game where he saved about three one-on-ones with Sterling and one with Balotelli. And he was just sort of formidable. If anyone got in, you knew it was going to hit De Gea. Um, yeah. and, and this was definitely true in that 17-18 season. He sa- I think he said, yeah, I've got it here. He saved 61% of the 1v1s he faced. An average goalkeeper normally saves just under fifty yeah. percent. So again, this is a huge overperformance. He's really um, saving one v ones at a sort of unprecedented level. But then, in interestingly, in eighteen nineteen, that drops down to um, that drops down to like twenty nine percent. So, and that roughly equates to your to this seven extra goals. Um. So, I basically wrote an article about how actually the The issue is with De Gea in one v ones more than these big errors Mm. that's actually changed his performance. And if you sort of delve deep into the into the one v one stuff, which which I do, um, the the big difference comes from decision making, basically. And one thing decision making, and one thing how he actually executes his techniques. So, um, in the seventeen eight, basically in the eighteen nineteen season, um, he had an extra um, three wrong decisions basically when to come and when to stay Mm. so in the in the eight in the yeah in 17 18 season he was pretty good at knowing when he should hold and stay deep for a 1v1 because there was enough defensive pressure on the ball the striker was far enough away from goal etc and when oh no he needs to rush out and close down the striker because he's he's got a really good chance of scoring whereas yeah in the in 18 19 season that sort of deserted him a little bit um and yeah the, the other main thing was he used to have this um, amazing sort of blocking technique where he'd crouch down into like a sort of long barrier and there'd just be no way through him. Mm. Um, And that worked amazingly well in the 17, 18 season. But in the 18, 19 season, suddenly he started doing that and he'd get megged, he'd do it at the wrong time and he'd get chipped and and all this sort of stuff started happening. Um, So yeah, I, I attributed the first part of his decline to that. But actually, my sort of story doesn't really continue into this season. Because yeah. actually De Gea has been been pretty average this year at, at, at 1v1s. His decision making's much improved, um, ver- versus the the 1819 season. Um, his his blocks his blocking and spreading execution is still pretty poor. So he's still getting sort of megged and chipped occasionally. Sometimes when he doesn't he doesn't quite execute his technique right. But realistically, he's he's pretty much in line with an average goalkeeper there. It is actually this year the errors that have that have really cost him. And there's those, yeah, the, the Palace and the Tottenham goal, the Watford and the Everton, and two Everton goals actually. There's the Calvert Lewin one where he got tackled, and then the mm. one where he's come out for the for the cross, completely missed it, and then Lindelof scored a scored no G. So actually, yeah, in terms of De Gea's decline, it's a little bit weird. I think it's a mix between these sort of high profile errors coming in where he's just made like big mistakes, um, and and also this sort of poor decision making and poor actual execution during during 1v1 uh, during 1v1 situations. Mm. I find that really interesting. I've a lot of arguments I've had on Twitter with
0: people I really, you know, have backed to to be honest I'm quite a big fan of his. Um and I, I've been saying to people you you know you can't just lose it overnight and you say there are things like decision making, you know, perhaps mental attributes perhaps that he sort of regressed on or last season you said it perhaps maybe got a bit better again. This season, there's been a lot of talk on as to why, how he's got worse. You know, a lot of talk of you know Ollie moving on his previous goalkeeping coach for perhaps having too much power over him, and bringing in a new goalkeeping coach. Sort of people perhaps saying that his bad form is down to that. Do you think that's got anything to do with it? Because I, I I find it hard to with a goalkeeper just sort of losing these these little things that that age
1: perhaps wouldn't you wouldn't specifically lose with age. Yeah, no. Um, I think. It's definitely definitely a mental thing with the. Ge- I. As in I don't think he's like aged or deteriorated his reflexes. This and mm-hmm. And you can see that because he has these. He still has consistently these one-off performances where he'll just save United a ridiculous amount of goals. Like I'll have the, the Tottenham. I think Tottenham away one the, the other year and things like that. And I think he had one in the Champions League this year against Sevilla or something. So, I, I'm, he'll always have these one-off performances because he's still got the ability. It's it's just these these tiny little tweaks and these little decisions that I'm talking about. So if if yeah if we look at the two things, the errors and the one B ones, it's mainly about his decision making: should he come or should he stay? And that's not really that much to do with his ability. It's more just to do with how comfortable he is is he in that situation? How much does he believe that he's doing the right thing? And then similarly with the, with the errors, if if you actually look at them, we've got this season there's five errors. Two of them are this sort of wide base jumping into a stance, which I'm sort of putting down to a little bit of anxiety when the striker's running in and feeling like he needs to do too much, mm. um, which is, again, more of a mental thing than, than a physical thing. And then if you look at the the Watford and the Everton mistakes, that's just he should he should clear the ball before without taking an extra touch. That's just a mental lapse. And the Watford one is, again, he looks like he goes to catch it and he's already thinking about throwing it out to his right back. And then, mm. oh, no, it's gone over his shoulder and it's gone in. So it, it it does, for me, seem that he's not lost any sort of reflexes or shot-stopping innate ability. It is just something to do with with concentration and decision-making and, and, and a mental process, mm. which I think it was already deteriorating before they changed the goalkeeper coach. So I, I wouldn't put it down to that. If anything, I thought the changing goal coach might reinvigorate him. Yeah. Um, it, well, I don't think it's made him any any worse in this regard. It's it's just it hasn't it hasn't improved him like like potentially I thought it would. Mm. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting one going forward to see what happens, because obviously the more media scrutiny, I don't think it's going to make it any better. Which no. is why I think Oli Solskjaer coming out uh, today was it or yesterday, yeah, and yeah, saying, and saying and and really supporting De Gea was a very good thing, because I'm I'm a true believer that his errors and his issues at the moment are are, are a mental thing and hopefully Solskjaer doing that will will bring back his will, will hopefully bring back his confidence a little bit and he'll he'll know he won't get dropped this that and the other and hopefully he can he can, he can push on because obviously as a as a goalkeeping fan I want all the goalkeepers to do as, as best as they can
0: mm, yeah of course another thing I saw recently was perhaps you know people suggesting that certain Managers, You know, we we spoke on a podcast a few weeks ago to Franz Huck, who I'm sure you know well. Um, uh, he was talking about, um, you know, how closely goalkeeping coaches work with the goalkeepers, perhaps the managers keeping a bit of a distance. But do you think that the actual manager of a club, because, you know, Jose Mourinho has excellent stats, for example, or, you, you know, used to it under Petr Cech and stuff like that with goalkeepers. Do you think the manager has anything to do with, you know, a goalkeeper's performance and, and their sort of statistics?
1: Um, yeah, well, I definitely think they do on the mental side, uh, whether... <laughs> well, I'll do two things. I'll do the mental side mm. and then the actual the, the actual tactical yeah. side. So so I think if the goal, if, if the manager can support the goalkeeper and make the goalkeeper know that they're basically undroppable, but not in a negative way, it's a really subtle thing. And I think Mourinho definitely has it, that he can make his players, especially goalkeepers and defenders, feel like they're... They're worth millions and millions of pounds and they're so valuable to the team and they're not going to be dropped. Mm. And they, then they, they get, generate this extra confidence and it ma- basically makes their all their decisions much easier because they realise, oh, he thinks I'm great, so whatever I do in this moment must be right. They never second-guess themselves. Um, obviously, you can go too far with that. And if they think they can't be dropped, their performance levels dip because they, they don't have that edge. Mm. But, but I think a manager is definitely... On the defensive side, and especially the goalkeeping side of a team, it's all about getting that that mentality right, where they're confident and comfortable, and know they're not panicking about getting dropped, they make a mistake, or this, that, and the other. But also, you're not giving them overconfidence and and letting them do things that are going to let their performance drop. Mm. And then on the on the tactical side, a Mourinho team is going to probably be easier for a goalkeeper because. They're going to mainly stay on their line. They're, they're going to the things they're thinking about are stopping shots and stopping crosses that come in and around their six-yard box. Yeah. They're not going to be thinking about, oh god, when the ball's in their half, I need to be outside my box. I need to be thinking about the channel ball and sweeping up because our fullbacks are playing really high and, and this, that, and the other. So it does make it a little bit easier because you've got less things to think about. Whereas if you're playing for yeah, Jurgen Klopp or Pochettino or um, Pep Guardiola. As a goalkeeper, you've got to be thinking about not just your shot-stopping positioning. You've got to be thinking about all your sweeping positionings, where the manager wants you for every distribution. Because if you notice where Edison and Allison stand a lot of the time when their centre-backs have it, they're like miles out of their box, pulled off at one side because they're offering a different uh, passing lane. Mm. So there's all these things that a keeper would have to think about in under different different tactical scenarios, which obviously makes it harder to be a goalkeeper because you're just the a random thing here. But you'll notice Edison quite a few times in the last few years, has conceded goals where he stood like outside his six-yard box mm. from a shot from the edge of the box, and it looks awful. And they sort of just roll in the corner, and he's got no time to react because he's massively out of position. Yeah. And I think that comes down to the fact he's got to think about so much more than most of the goalkeepers that sometimes he's going to get it wrong. Mm. Uh, so potentially, yeah, it is easier to play under different tactical things as a manager. But um, I-, I think it's only easier at like, the sort of extreme ends. So I think the difference between Mourinho and Solskjaer, at least at Man United at the moment, won't be won't be too taxing on De Gea, other than potentially the man management psychological aspect it might be it might be harder to play yeah. under under Solskjaer. But I don't think the tactical difference is big enough that he's suddenly had to go to a Edison Allison style mm. um, goalkeeper and think about everything in a in a slightly different way.
0: No, fair enough. That's interesting. I think yeah, yeah, really good points made there. Um, well, we'll go back on to Dean Henderson. He's obviously massively impressed and perhaps surprised many this season. What, what do you think of his season as a whole at Sheffield? And, um, and what would you say is his best attribute as a goalkeeper?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think he's had. He's, he, I think he's had a phenomenal season. So just just looking at the at the underlying stats, he he'd be expected to save about seventy percent of the shots he's faced this year, just from looking at their trajectories and velocities and the distances that, that they were taken from. Mm. And actually, he's got a save percentage of like seventy six percent. So he's yeah. he's saved an additional six percent of shots on target, which which roughly translates to about seven goals. So yeah, it's not like the heady heights of De Gea in seventeen eighteen, but it's still a really good a really good overperformance. Mm. Um, of yeah, basically, semi uh, Sheffield United an extra seven goals, which is which is really big. And I'd say his main uh, and his only real errors this year have been against the the big Liverpool one, where I think Wanamdam just hammers it down the middle, lack of concentration, drops into his scoop, and it just squirms through him because he doesn't quite align his his body properly. And then the Chelsea one, where a ball's bouncing in the box, he comes to try and catch it, it squirms out of his hands, and then I think Tammy Abraham hammers in the rebound. Um, and so he's not really made that many profile errors for his first sort of first season in the Premier League, which is a, probably a good sign of, of um, mental strength, especially at Sheffield United, where the ball's constantly coming in the box and there's constant opportunity for him to make errors if he if he was nervous or, or error prone. And he's also yes yeah, saved a ridiculous amount of goals. I'd say his main um, Attribute is is sort of long range shot stopping, so similar to De Gea in in, in that regard. That shots from outside the box, regardless of where they are, really are very rarely going to going to beat him because mm. he's just he's so powerful and good at moving moving across the goal. Um, in terms of going forward, the reason I hesitate to say Man United should just yes yeah, straight away have him in next season get rid of De Gea is because he did have that poor under twenty ones. Euros for 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 England in in 2019 mm. where England got knocked out in the group stage and he also I don't know he it doesn't seem like one season's worth of data would be enough for Man United just to completely go back on De Gea mm. yeah so I, I that's why I do think like I said at the at the start that he should definitely uh, that Man United should probably if they can assuming Dean Henderson doesn't have a contract issue which means he then gets pissed off and leaves. Um, they should really try and have De Gea for another season, put Henderson in another Premier League team, whether it's Sheffield United or whether it's somebody else, and just give him more experience and keep sort of testing his ability because there's, there's, there'd be no problem bringing Henderson in after another year and a whole other year of Premier League experience if he can perform at a, a similar level. Mm. Uh, I guess, yeah, I'd say his, his only real weaknesses I see are potentially decision making, which is probably a good sign for United because for a young goalkeeper, the easiest thing to change is their decision making. Mm. It's much harder to make them faster, stronger, um, better at certain shot stopping techniques, this, that, and the other, because they're they're quite ingrained in. By the time they're they're 20 something, like like Henderson is, um, mm. but occasionally his decision making can be quite rash in terms of. Again, because I've done a big study on 1v1s, I know how all the how all the goalkeepers are with that. And and Henderson's one of those. When he does the right thing, he'll save it basically every time. But quite often, he'll be rushing out of his goal when he doesn't need to. He'll be sort of being hesitant and half rushing out of his goal and then trying to react, and, and he'll get beaten. And that's definitely somewhere where he could improve. And maybe at United, his decision-making, his issues with that might get uh, exacerbated. And that's what I'd be worried about this year. That's why I'd want him to have a whole other year, see if he can still shot-stop at the same level, and see if his decision-making can improve. Um, because otherwise it might be a bit risky. Because the pressure at United is completely different, and if you've got tiny doubts in your decision making and your self belief, that can that you can go from a decent keep, like a really good keeper, to like everyone hammering you in the media overnight. And I really wouldn't want that to happen to Henderson, maim- mm. mainly for England, um, but but also for 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 United's sake. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned England there. We'll see another.
0: I remember you know, another Roy Keane rant uh, amongst the many, I think, was aimed at Jordan Pickford, wasn't it? I think um, yeah. when Bruno Fernandes, uh, from quite a way out, put one. It didn't it wasn't exactly buried in the corner, and he was, had quite a lot to say about that as well um, in the studio, as, as he usually does. Looking forward for England, as, as as an England fan, I'm sure you are as well. Um yeah. Where do you, do you think Dean Henderson is now knocking on the door of Jordan Pickford for for next year's Euros? How, how, do you think Pickford is still nailed on as number one? Because obviously he had a great World Cup in 2018. Obviously a bit of a hero at the time, and as most of the squad were, but obviously not great form for Everton. Do you, do you think Dean Henderson's now knocking on the door for that England spot?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I definitely, I definitely think he has to be in the squad and has to be sort of playing the friendlies and the other games. Potentially, they won't be friendlies. So they'll just be the, the the Euro Nations League stuff. But mm. um, whatever the games are between now and the Euros, um, if they can indeed get any England games in uh, with the with the with the schedule, um, mm. I think Henderson's got to be in and around playing, just because his shot stopping is just clearly from this season alone superior to Pickford's. My only issue would be if we're still going to play this sort of expansive football. Um, playing it out from the back, constantly putting our goalkeeper under pressure. I don't know if Henderson is that goalkeeper. Yeah. So if, if you look at the at the twenty eighteen World Cup, Pickford received the ball under pressure more times than any other goalkeeper at the tournament. Right. And he and never made a mistake. Right. <laughs> no, we're not. We're never talking about Pickford getting the ball, getting nick getting it nicked, kicking it straight to their team and their scoring or whatever. So. It's a really big part of Southgate's England, the goalkeeper having the ball under pressure and Maguire just being able to turn around or Gomez or Stones or whoever it is and just knock it back to Pickford knowing he'll get the ball out to the other side, he'll keep possession, he'll keep it all safe even when they're under pressure and we're getting like deeply pressed by, by another team. And whether Henderson can do that, I don't know. And mm. it's gonna be it's going to be a weird one because obviously against the lesser teams that are just out and out trying to press us, trying to nick a goal, trying to make us uncomfortable but they probably won't have that many shots. Maybe Pickford's better because we don't actually need it. It sounds weird as a goalkeeper, but maybe we don't actually need a shot stopper. And then maybe it comes to we're playing France, we're playing whoever, then maybe Henderson will be the better keeper. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I don't advocate sort of rotating keepers, but I think it's going to be a very difficult decision for Southgate if he still wants to play that style of football, putting Henderson in. Because I've obviously not seen Henderson play in a team like that. But from what he's done at Sheffield United, it seems like he's very much a better safe than sorry. I'll get my foot through the ball. Won't make any mistakes, but we're not going to retain possession sort of goalkeeper. Mm. So I think going forward for England, that will be interesting to see if one, he can be a ball playing goalkeeper and two, whether Southgate decides, even if he isn't a ball playing goalkeeper, whether his shot stopping is more beneficial to the team than Pickford's distribution. Mm.
0: And Nick Pope, obviously another goalkeeper who, I'm sure it's knocking on the door as well. So you've got a few goalkeepers there who um, who, who could be in contention there for England, which is good. You, you know, you like we like yep. to see this bit bit of competition. Uh, don't don't do the squad any harm. Just coming back to United, obviously there's a third goalkeeper in in the discussion, someone who's quite often forgotten about the uh, current United backup, Sergio Romero doesn't play all that much but when he has I think the stats are unbelievable for him I'm not 100% sure on that I'm sure you know more than I do on that Uh, what what do you think of Sergio Romero as a
1: backup goalkeeper because I think many United fans regard him as perhaps one of the best backups in the world yes I'd actually definitely agree with that I think he's definitely one of the best backups in the world just because he's so solid and sort of he's just seamlessly fits into the team you don't really notice when when he comes in, in, in instead of a another goalkeeper Obviously, if you think about Liverpool or Tottenham, when Gazaniga or Adrian comes in, it, it all sort of seems a little bit shaky. It all seems mm-hmm. a little bit nervous. Like Both the goalkeepers have made mistakes, but I'm, I'm not even highlighting that. I'm just highlighting the sort of, you can sense when crosses are coming in and things are happening. It's just not the same as when Loris and Alisson are there. And I think with United, when um, Romero slips in, you, you don't sort of get that, that, that sense that everyone's nervous, everyone's panicking a bit. Oh, no, De Gea's not playing. And I think that's a, a really good thing. And mm-hmm. as you as you pointed out with with the stats, I think Romero is actually a really interesting example of someone who looks amazing in the sort of basic stats, but the, but the more you probe, he then just becomes pretty solid. So like, yeah, he's played 14 mm. games this season with 11 clean sheets and only three goals conceded, yeah. which like looks absolutely fantastic. But then actually, in four of those clean sheets, he didn't have a save to make. Wow. Uh, so he and and. Actually, if you look at yeah his expected save percentage, I think it's eighty-eight percent, which is like the highest I've ever seen someone's been. Mm. So, so he's just in the, in the FA Cup and in the Europa League, he's just not faced that difficult shots. So his save percentage is ninety percent, so he he has overperformed by by two percent. So he saved United roughly a goal in, in those games, but um, I think this season he's been like a solid goalkeeper. He's not been something like amazing where you can think about dropping De Gea for him straight away. Potentially if De Gea just needs it out of the limelight for, for, for a few weeks, Romero's a great goalkeeper because I think he could just slot in. And then as soon as De Gea's feeling more comfortable again, you could, you could rotate them back out. Um, but yeah, he's definitely not someone like he's not playing at Henderson's level for, for, for example. So it's, but yeah, he is a great, um, a great backup choice.
0: Mm. Moving on to a couple more sort of general questions. I know these are going to be a little bit tough to answer, I think. But um, <clears throat> the first one we've got here is, what's a goalkeeper skill that isn't talked about enough and is quite important?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> I would... Not talked about enough is probably that probably the hardest bit, bit, bit for me. But I'd say, um, it's quite broad, but shot-stopping mm-hmm. technique selection. So mm-hmm. what I mean by this is, when the ball's whizzing close to your body, um, is are you going to stick out a foot and try and save it like that, or are you going to try and dive and collapse on it? And you see often, I think a, f- a few. So De Gea basically very rarely gets caught out with that, interestingly, until the last mm-hmm. few until until the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually he's a great one in knowing. Oh no, I'd never get down to that quick enough. That'd squirm under my body. Just stick a foot out and save it. Um, similarly, Nick Nick Pope has a lot of problems with this. You'll see quite often he'll get caught in between sticking a leg out, catching it. He'll double guess it, and it'll either squirm under his body or his leg won't get to it in time. So I think, yeah, the the technique you use for for shot stopping is a really big one. And the other thing I'd just touch on as well is the use of the top hand versus the bottom hand. So, again, when a shot's going in the top corner, the goalkeeper's got a decision to make. Is he going to try and save that with the the hand that's sort of closest to the ball um, and try and push it up and over the bar? Or is he going to arc his other hand across and try and flick it it around the post that way? And basically, studies have shown that once the shot's above about shoulder height on the goalkeeper, it's much easier biomechanically to make the save with with the other hand, the one that sort of comes over the top. So I think, again, decision making can make saves much easier for you. And a lot of De Gea's best saves, the, the Son one, for example, he, he used his top hand because just biomechanically, it'll make the save easier. If he'd have gone for that Son header with his left hand, quite often he may have not got enough power on it or palmed it into the roof of the net just because that hand sort of fights gravity biomechanically Mm. as it comes across. So I think all these sort of intricacies of the shot stopping techniques that goalkeepers select in that split second when the ball's coming at them is probably something that's basically not talked about at all, but something that I think if you've got a goalkeeper who basically always makes the right decision. So yeah, it's a foot save. Yeah. It's top hand. Yeah. It's bottom hand. Yeah. It's a negative step dive. Yeah. It's a power step dive, whatever. If they can consistently make those decisions correct, I think you've got a very good goalkeeper. Mm. I think that that top hand, you know,
0: thing you mentioned there is something that I've noticed with Hare. Obviously, I wouldn't have a clue about the technicalities of it, but him sort of reaching yep. across with that top hand is something you've seen quite a lot from him. Quite an interesting thing I've I've yep. always seen seen in De Hare's game over the over the past few years. Um, finally, this is a very tough question. I'm aware. I'm going to put you on the spot. In your opinion, who is the best goalkeeper on the planet right now?
1: Oh, yes, it is a tough question. And I'll probably effectively sort of sit on the fence with this. Yeah. But I think right now in the world, I don't think there's one goalkeeper who's all round. So there's, there's sort of three things to goalkeeping. There's, there's stopping shots, um, preventing shots. So that's like making interceptions. That's catching crosses, sweeping up through balls, making sure shots never happen. Mm. Um, and then the third thing is distribution. And I don't think at the moment there is a goalkeeper that is so good at all three that no one's close to them. So, for example, if we're talking shot-stopping, you, you've got to have Oblak and Allison and um, and Jan Sommer and various other people up, up there mm-hmm. with just out-and-out shot-stopping. De Gea would be up there, um, obviously, in the past few years. Maybe this year his shot-stopping has gone down a bit, but I'd, I'd still back him to be one of the best out-and-out shot-stoppers on his day in, in, in the world. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the intercepting side where I think... People like unsung heroes like Fabianski and Debravka and um, Nick Pope, um, as as well as as well as like Edison, are just so good at coming for crosses that they make it they make it look easy all the time. Mm. And I think they're they're really great in those aspects. With distribution, it's probably the only area where I can say there's one out and out great, and that's Edison. I just don't think anyone has ever in the game distributed like him. A lot of people talk about like Neuer and other people revolutionising goalkeeping by their sweeping. Mm. But sweeping has all has always sort of been a thing to a lesser or greater extent. I think the real revolution is coming in Edison now, where every time Man City get a goal kick, if the team tries to press them high, he'll just put the striker in on goal. Like that that's something that's literally never happened yeah. before the last few years. Where literally there was that crazy game against Tottenham. Where Tottenham were like, yeah, we're pressing in Man City's half, and then Edison would just be chipping the ball over like seventy yards, full length of the pitch, and Aguero would just being on goal, and yeah. it'd be like, well, we can't press them, and then Man City just played short, played through them, and scored anyway, and it was like, wow, this goalkeeper's literally completely changed distribution. So I'd say, yeah, to answer the question, Allison's probably the overall most well-rounded. But I don't think he's out and out the world's number one because I think yeah, there's definitely Oblak To Stegen, other people pushing around for that De Gea when he's when he's on his day. Um, but if I had to name my favourite goalkeeper to watch right now, it would would definitely be be Edison.
0: Mm, yeah, not great as a United fan to hear that, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it, I think I think you're spot on. You you alluded to just there the the three sort of parameters you've used to sort of make your judgment, um, and you said you said that there's no one sort of. Top in all three of them right now. From past eras, do you think there have been which goalkeepers would you say have been sort of top top of their game in all three of those all three of those segments you just mentioned?
1: Yeah, so um, I it's a think, tough one, I, I think I think Neuer at Neuer's peak mm. was top in all of them. Neuer's shot stopping, as after his after his ankle injury and knee injuries and various other injuries, his shot stopping has dropped off dropped off a bit. But Neuer at his peak. Could distribute with the best of them, could claim crosses, sweep up with the best of them, and also and also shot stop. So I, de- I definitely think he's he, he's up there with with the most all-round goalkeepers of all time. Because my my other sort of personal favourites in like Buffon and Casillas, mm-hmm. I'd say their distribution was much more limited but back in the day. So it's hard to compare. Um, but Buffon and Casillas were definitely outstanding at both intercepting and shot stopping. And they'd, defi- they'd definitely be up there in any conversation where I'm talking about the greatest goalkeepers of all time. I just think distribution's changed so much that it's quite hard now. You, you, like you can't even compare them to, to Stegen, Sommer, Allison, Edison, those sort of ball-playing mm. goalkeepers. Um, so, so it's quite hard to say. But, yeah, I'd say if I was having to go for a most well-rounded goalkeeper, it would be like, yeah, Neuer in the sort of 2013 sort of, sort of, sort of era, I'd mm. say.
0: John, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Some fantastic insight about, you know, goalkeeping is always something I'm more interested to learn about. Uh, so, so thank you for coming on. You had some fantastic uh, insight there. Have you got any last words you'd like to say to the listeners?
1: Um, No, other than just thank you, Henry, for having me. And I'm I'm really happy that so many people are getting interested in goalkeeping and the amount of engagement that's going on with my Twitter and things like that because people are more interested in goalkeeping is, for me, it can can only be a good thing that everyone wants to sort of educate themselves on, on, I guess, football's most unique position. Mm. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Cheers.